Hello and welcome to Afroqueer. I'm your host, Sally Chum. In many African countries, religious leaders have been some of the loudest voices of opposition to LGBT rights. We saw this in Uganda, where they fueled an anti-gay movement that culminated in the temporary passing of the anti-homosexuality bill in 2014. That same year, Nigerian religious leaders followed suit, taking to the pulpits and the press to push for an anti-gay marriage act, which then became law. These are two examples that show the great influence that religious leaders can have on what larger populations think and on the passing of laws. In this episode of Afroqueer, our reporter Halima Gikandi brings us this story from a coastal town of Kenya where religion and sexuality came head to head with some unexpected results. For years, queer people in Kenya made a safe haven on the coastal city of Mombasa and nearby Mtuapa. It was a place where young people in small towns or rural areas went to find others like them. There was a thriving underground scene with gay-friendly clubs and bars and spaces where people would live and let live. But that all changed in February of 2010. Anti-gay mobs harassed and made threats against anyone who was suspected to be part of the queer community. They even burned down houses of people they thought were gay. And it was all because of a rumor in a barbershop. A rumor that wasn't even true. My name is Yvonne Powers. My pronouns is she. I like to be identified as a trans person. Yvonne is a transgender woman, which means even though she was assigned male at birth, she's a woman. Her pronouns are she and her. She's Muslim and an activist who was living and working in Mombasa when the violence broke out against the queer community. Sa Said is the one who used as this uh, kind of uh, a veil. According to Yvonne, a man named Said was in a barber shop. He had a bridal veil that belonged to his sister. So somebody asked Saidi that, what are you doing with this bell? And when Saidi says that, I'm going to get married. He made a joke. He said, I'm getting married. There were animated crowds in Tuapa today. The crowds seemingly angered by the presence of a few who had planned a rather unusual ceremony. A gay wedding. Kenya's coastal region is a very religious place with a large Muslim population. And when Christian and Muslim leaders heard rumors about a gay wedding, it set off a chain reaction. They were furious and days after the rumors spread, some leaders began a plot to, in their words, flush out the gays. At the same time, Yvonne came up with a plan of her own, to come out openly on a local radio station, to explain that there was no gay wedding, that it was all just one big misunderstanding. After three days, I decided to go to Baraka FM in a studio and then to clear what's going on. But it was already too late. By the time Yvonne spoke on the radio station, the rumors had spread. Christian and Muslim religious leaders were particularly vocal and encouraged their congregations to protest this alleged marriage. 
They've brought great shame. God has rejected this within his religion. He doesn't want behavior like this. Even animals don't act like this. That's Sheikh Ali Hussein. He's the Muslim religious leader who is very vocal against the queer community alongside his Christian counterpart, Bishop Lawrence Chai. On Friday, February 12th of 2010, after afternoon prayers, mobs started attacking queer or suspected queer people in and around Mtuapa. Kenyans have for years watched bemused as the gay movement gained momentum. Protesters stormed the office of Kemri, the Kenyan Medical Research Institute, which at the time was providing HIV and AIDS services and information about safe sex. It had also somehow become the rumored location for the gay wedding. Yvonne was volunteering as a health counselor at Kemri when the mob arrived, and the police arrested her. They said it was for her own safety. But then, that same mob followed her and her colleagues to the police station and demanded that the police release them to the public. Mtuapa and Mombasa quickly became too dangerous for queer people, including Yvonne. After a few nights in a safe house, she escaped to Nairobi with some of her friends and colleagues. They spent the eight-hour ride to Nairobi in silence. My name is Essie. I remember it was a Friday. Essie is a lesbian activist who was living in Mombasa when the violence broke out. In the morning, I'm being called that things are not good, they're being attacked, Cambry has been attacked, specific individuals have been arrested, I think two people were arrested. It was, it was chaotic. I mean, that moment in Mombasa, I think it's a moment that most people want to forget. Essie later joined PEMA, which stands for Persons Marginalized and Aggrieved. And together, Pema and Kemri began talking about what they could do to make sure that something like this, which had left their community beaten and battered, would never happen again. What the community needed was allies, people who had their back, or at the very least, people who wouldn't tell others to hurt them. That attack was a blessing in disguise, because then it made Pema Kenya realize that they needed to reach out to religious leaders because uh, what they were saying was a lie, but they believed the lie. Essie and her colleagues wondered, what would it take to turn the religious leaders, the same ones who had spoken out against them, into allies? And what would that look like? It would require meeting Sheikh Ali Hussein and Bishop Chai face to face, the same men who had called for people like Essie and Yvonne to be attacked. But, uh, our assignment was on uh, tribal violence. Eh? Pema and Kemri started meeting with 11 religious leaders of different faiths. They started discussing tribal topics violence, that were less taboo, topics like HIV and safe sex. Gradually, they began to introduce topics like gender identity, sex workers, and sexual orientation. The only thing was, the religious leaders still didn't know that Essie herself is a lesbian. After 10 meetings, Essie and her colleagues realized that while the religious leaders could now talk about gay people in the abstract, they couldn't put a face to that learning. For the final two classes of the workshop, they decided to change that. They invited a diverse group of queer professionals, from doctors to businessmen, to come out openly. And then Essie herself comes out too. 
it was a very tense moment. I was really scared. So we put some security measures in place. If the mood is not so good, if anybody touches their phone, we are out. Cavolos believed that that moment changed everything because they knew us before they knew our sexuality. And I think they could not hate us because they already knew us as friends, right? And it was a moment also when I realized that uh, anything is possible. That marked the beginning of a new model of reaching out to Kenya's religious leaders and turning them into allies. I thank God for passing on the knowledge of Pema and various other people. Getting this knowledge has made me change. To be honest, in the past I hadn't understood the way things are. But now we thank God that we can understand how things are. That Sheikh Ali Hussein, the same Ali Hussein who was on the news calling for attacks against gay people. Only now he's an imam and he's training other religious leaders on becoming more sensitive about gender and sexual minority issues. I would like to say they must listen to people. Imams shouldn't say to fight with them. We should listen to them. If we say that we will not listen to them and instead fight them, we will not figure out how we can live together. How will we be able to live with each other? They could be your child. Today, Pema's efforts have culminated into a training manual called Facing Your Fears, a five-day training that aims to both educate religious leaders on LGBTQ issues and create allies within religious spaces. Mombasa is a very Islamic town, so it is important to reach out to this particular group of people because people listen to them and so that they do not also look at this particular group of people as sinners. About 10 Christian and Muslim religious leaders attended one of these trainings in August 2018. Like Asi's original workshops, the trainers began by talking about health and HIV before learning about sexual and gender minorities. That is, you should identify yourself. Some cultures enforce identity through cultures like Later that day, there was an LGBTQ panel with four queer presenters, including Yvonne. She spoke movingly about her experience being a Muslim trans woman in Kenya. She told them how, despite converting to Islam when she was younger, she doesn't feel comfortable in mosques. Yvonne's presentation made a big impact on some of the leaders. She even moved a few of them to tears. Most of these religious leaders have never knowingly met a queer person. And yet, here they were, sitting in front of them, explaining the impact that hate had had on their lives. Today, Imam Ali trains other religious leaders on allyship using some of the tools that Pema gave him back in 2010. His allyship is something that not everybody in the queer Kenyan community on the coast trusts. Is it enough to attend workshops and not call for violence? Or should we have a higher bar for those we call allies? 
And is Imam Ali Hussein a genuine ally in the first place? I just think that the only thing that's pulling him back is the religion. Yeah. He's just following the doctrines and what is expected from him because I'm sure if he would be walking around with gay men like, oh yeah, I'm embracing you, then people will start talking like, hey, what's up with this guy? I spoke with some young queer activists who are Christian and Muslim after a presentation Imam Ali Hussein had given to other leaders. While he openly shared his support of queer people behind closed doors, it wasn't something he was saying in mosques. I asked the activists what they thought about him. He can never, he, he can never say it when with other ustads yeah. that we accept you guys. But when he is alone, like he comes to our space where we are, he will say he's okay with us. And this is, uh, is because if he says it here, there are so many people maybe who will be against him, mm. who will maybe go and report him somewhere. And he really doesn't want to yeah, lose exactly. his post if mm. it's not a job. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to protect that. But inside him, he honestly knows that this thing is not a problem. Yeah. Because I'm sure if he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't comfortable with gay people, first of all, he wouldn't have been here. And he wouldn't have said it. These people are adamant in their stand against homosexuality. He would have been so vocal. He would have said, I don't like it. And gay people should burn and stuff. But he's cool people. Yeah. He's an ally. Yeah. When I spoke to religious leaders at LGBTQ workshops, they repeated what Imam Ali Hussein was saying. That they should help LGBTQ people, listen to them, welcome them. But not everyone wanted to be interviewed for this podcast. In fact, most of them didn't. They feared what could happen to them, their reputations. Religious leaders take on some risks when they show any amount of support for queer people. They could lose their job, their religious credibility. For some, threats have been enough to quiet their advocacy. But for others, the stakes have been much higher. My name is Pastor John Kaliki. I live in Mombasa, but I was born in Central Province. And uh, I am a pastor with a local indigenous church. Pastor Karyuki has been with Pema since the beginning. He was one of the first religious leaders Essi and Pema reached out to in 2010. A photograph of him receiving a certificate at the end of a workshop was shown on the local news. My friends, even in the headquarters, Nairobi, so mean. So they, they, they went wild. Yes, my bishop went wild. What is this, pastor? What are you doing? So I received delta of suspension, but I took it uh, as, a, as a gentleman because I thought I had done nothing wrong. Yes, and I've told you I have taken this as, as a ministry to, 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 to protect a certain group of people in, in, in the society. Um, and th I believe th these people also need God, and they are created by God. In 2014, the clergy lifted Pastor Karayuki's suspension, 
These days, Pastor Kayuki works behind the scenes to advance understanding and acceptance of queer people. He is more careful about who he invites to conferences and talks, but he doesn't think the lack of visibility makes him any less of an ally than before. I am personally an ally. It means that um, I am not a, an LGBTI person, but I am I'm friendly to them. And uh, I understand them. And personally, I have no problem working with them, staying with them, socializing with them, doing business with them, going to church with them. I have no problem as a person. Yeah. If I have my way, uh, I think uh, I'll have, I'll tell everybody to, to do the same. you find that if you're an activist and you've changed one person and they're able to start to understand what you're talking about. I mean, and you don't change this person in one day. You will change this person in a very long time. So you have to deal with it for more than, what, one month, two months? So you have to find a way of blocking what you don't need and then focusing on what you need. This is Halima Kikandi reporting from Mombasa. Do you identify as an ally? And if so, do you have a story of what this has meant for you? Or are you an LGBTQ person with a story to share about an unexpected ally in your life? Write us an email or send us a voice note at afroqueerpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was reported by Halima Gikandi, produced by me, Sally Chum, Halima Gikandi, Ida Halinambi, and Mae Francis. Technical support by Rachel Wamoto. Special thanks to Nguru Karugo for his voice acting skills. Maya Von Lekau. For her song, Weiwei, and Ishmael Bahati, the executive director of PIMA. Follow Afroqueer Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, and on our website, www.afroqueerpodcast.com. We will be taking a two-week break, and we'll return to you at the end of September with more stories from Queer Africa. If you've missed any episodes, go back and listen. And if you like us, rate us everywhere you can. Share this episode and this podcast with anyone who might be an ally or with anyone who likes good stories. I'm your host, Sally Chum. Until next time.